Welcome to the markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson here for our weekly get together to take a look at market activity on Wall Street in the wheat fields and in the feedlots across the country. And Max Armstrong will be joining me with a guest to talk about markets a little bit later on. But let's begin with the Wall Street story on this last trading day of the week. The market moved lower today, heading into the weekend with a broad sell-off due to weak earnings, surging coronavirus cases, and geopolitical uncertainties. That's a real mess to put into the marketplace, but the China-U.S. situation deteriorated during the week, and we're still counting too many new coronavirus infestations across the country. But for the second day in a row, the tech sector weighed heaviest on all three major U.S. stock averages. Intel led the decline, its shares dropping after the chipmaker reported a delay in production of a smaller, faster 7-nanometer chip. And one analyst in Charlotte, North Carolina, says there's a skittishness ahead of the weekend after yesterday's tech and growth sell-off. It's been an unbelievable ride for the NASDAQ and tech over the last two months, he said. A well-deserved correction makes a lot of sense, at least in my view. Each index posted a weekly loss with the S&P 500 and the Dow snapping three-week winning streaks, and the NASDAQ had its weakest week of the last four. The retreat followed a rally that brought the S&P 500 to nearly 5% below its record high reached back in February. The Bellwether Index is now near break-even for the year, while the NASDAQ has gained more than 15% year-to-date. The momentum stocks like Apple, Alphabet, Google, and Amazon are scheduled to post results on July 30th, the day the U.S. Commerce Department is due to give its first take on second quarter GDP. And more than a thousand Americans died from COVID-19 on Thursday of this week, the third straight day for that grim milestone as total cases surged past four million. And then the uh, agreement between China and the U.S. comes into jeopardy again with the my dad is bigger than your dad argument that they're holding because we shut down a Chinese uh, office in Texas. And so they are shutting down a Chinese, a U.S. uh, office in China. Healthcare lost ground ahead of executive orders by President Trump that's aimed at lowering drug prices. Second quarter earnings season charged ahead with 128 constituents of the S&P 500 having reported. And of those, 80.5% have cleared a very low bar of analyst expectations. And another indication of the hit on the travel agent industry, American Express, fell after reporting an 85% slump in quarterly profit after setting aside nearly $628 million to cover potential defaults. 
Uh, Verizon Communications uh, also beat analyst profit and revenue estimates as the telecom saw strong demand due to the stay-at-home mandates sending its shares higher for the day. And uh, it's going to be a busy week. Next week we'll be getting to those uh, expected quarterly reports. But uh, back to the positive uh, in the marketplace, precious metals. Gold smashed through a $1,900 an ounce barrier again as the Chinese-U.S. round drives flights to safety. And the spot gold climbed seven-tenths of a percent to $1,899.68 per ounce by 2 o'clock this afternoon. And prices were set to gain 5% for the week, which would be their best since week ended March 27th. Gold futures up four-tenths of a percent at $1,897.50. And uh, silver also moved higher uh, for the week, fell two-tenths of a percent to $22.67 per ounce but was up over 17% for the week. That's its best since eight, since 1987. So that's some of what happened this week. Oil, oil was up on strong economic data, but again, the China-U.S. situation had an impact. But when we ended the trading today, Friday, Brent crude futures up just $0.03 cents a barrel, to settle at $43.34, and U.S. crude futures rose $0.22 cents to settle at $41.29 a barrel. And for the week, Brent rose half a percent. U.S. crude rose 1.7%. Something else the oil industry is keeping an eye on, too, as we go into this weekend is the uh, market participants watching the tropical storm Hannah forecast to cross to Baffin Bay just 46 miles south of Corpus Christi on Saturday afternoon. And uh, this week we saw an increase in new home sales. In June, the uh, sales of new U.S. single-family homes rose to a near 13-year high in June as the housing market outperforms the broader economy amid the record low interest rates and the migration, interestingly enough, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, pandemic, the migration from urban centers to lower-density areas because of the pandemic. Commerce Department said new home sales rose 13.8% to an annual rate of 776,000 units last month, and that's the highest since July of 2007. New home sales counted at the signing of a contract, making them a leading housing market indicator. So uh, let's go on to take a look ahead to next week because it is going to be a busy week in the uh, 
in the stock market with earnings reports dominating in a lot of the information that traders will be watching next week. So let's start with Monday. Executives from Amazon, from Facebook, from uh, Google parent Alphabet and Apple will make a rare appearance together before members of the House Judiciary Antitrust Subcommittee. That's part of its probe of technology companies' dominance on digital platforms and whether existing antitrust laws and enforcement are adequate. The chief executives will testify before the panel. And also on Monday, orders for durable goods data likely to have dropped to 7.2% in June. That would be down from 17, from 15.7% in the previous month. And also, looking ahead to the holiday season, Hasbro is expected to report a decline in its second uh, quarter core business revenue, again, because of the pandemic that spurred the closure of retail outlets around the world. So then let's look ahead to next week uh, outside of the Monday activity. The U.S. Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee scheduled to start its two-day meeting on interest rates on Tuesday. The U.S. Fed on Wednesday likely to maintain its interest rate in the target range of 0% to a quarter of a percent. And the Commerce Department likely to report a contraction of the U.S. economy in the second quarter on Thursday. The gross domestic product expected to have dropped to 34% after falling 5% in the earlier quarter. Initial claims for state unemployment benefits likely to have fallen to 1400000 for the weekend of July 20th. The Commerce Department scheduled to release consumer spending data on Friday. And personal income is likely to have slipped uh, to a half percent in June after falling 4.2 percent in May. The National Association of Realtors on Wednesday of next week expected to release its pending home sales index, likely to have dropped to 15.3% in June, down from 44.3% in the previous month. Apple expected to report a drop in third quarter revenue on Thursday, hit by a pullback in consumer spending as well as store closures globally due to the pandemic. Alphabet expected to report a decline in second quarter revenue hurt by big spenders slashing ad buys due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And Amazon expected to post an increase in second quarter revenue as demand for online orders surged with people staying at home because of the lockdowns by the, again, pandemic. Facebook is expected to post an increase in second quarter revenue on Wednesday. Investors will be on the lookout for the tech giant's comments on any surge or any signs of stability in the online ad sales as advertisers continue to cut or pause spending due to the, again, the pandemic. 
And uh, the largest U.S. oil producer, ExxonMobil Corporation, expected to post a second quarter loss in a row on Friday, with its oil and gas production and refining operations expected to be hit hardest by the downturn. Boeing Company expected to report a sharp fall in second quarter revenue on Wednesday, and of course still hurt by the grounding of its 737 MAX jet and the pandemic. Thursday, Ford Motor Company will report second quarter results that were hit by the pandemic and will outline how demand has rebounded since then. General Motors will report second quarter results on Wednesday, again talking about the damage caused by the pandemic. Pfizer Incorporated, one of the runners in the race to develop a viable coronavirus vaccine, is expected to report second quarter earnings on Tuesday, and investors will focus on commentary related to the experimental vaccine. The uh, Eli Lilly and Company expected to report its second quarter earnings on Thursday. And again, focus will be on the impact of the pandemic on their profit and earnings report for the quarter. And uh, Merkin Company expected to report a second quarter earnings on Friday. Investors will look for the uh, comments on the commercial viability of the company's experimental coronavirus vaccines, as well as Merck's expectations for the rest of the year. Uh, AbbVie is set to report financial results for the second quarter on the same day, and McDonald's Corporation likely to show a large fall in second quarter same-store sales on Tuesday as dine-in came to a halt in most parts of the world again due to the pandemic. MasterCard will report its second quarter results on Thursday. The payment processor will discuss the results in the conference call at 9 a.m. on that time. Harley-Davidson will report second quarter earnings before market hours on Tuesday. Starbucks expected to report third quarter earnings on Tuesday. And like other cafes and restaurants, expected to show a huge fall in quarterly same-store sales and report a loss due to the closures and limited operations amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And Yum Brands reporting, and the uh, Procter & Gamble folks will be reporting. But uh, the expectations of those that are reporting for higher results are pretty much down in the basement because the investors on Wall Street are still looking at the impact of what's happened to retail sales and other activity. We'll continue with a look at agriculture here on The Markets. Orion here, and if you are looking to increase your profit per acre, and who isn't these days, then I urge you to check out Flora. F-L-U-R-A has cultivated premium genetic hemp strains from a company of innovators, farmers, and researchers that deliver the highest quality seeds and the infrastructure you need to support your farming operation. Call Jeffrey at 312 206 
1864. Check out flora.com. Brian Bastig at Advanced Trading joining us this weekend uh, to visit about the market scene and uh, the opportunities we had and whether there will be more. Let's let's talk, first of all, crop conditions. Uh, one thing we notice as we look out there, Brian, that uh, there are those spots that are hurting, but we have some mighty fine-looking crops in areas of Iowa, for example, and parts of Wisconsin. Some of the Illinois crop looks very good right now. What's your overall assessment in a nutshell? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Max. There were some very timely rains that arrived here oh, about a week, 10 days ago now, just in time for pollination um, around uh, central Illinois, for example. But we've heard that uh, noted across uh, many areas of the Midwest here that we're experiencing some dryness. Uh, as you mentioned, when you look at the, the driest areas right now appear to be western Iowa, as well as parts of uh, Michigan, uh, Indiana, and Ohio. However, when you look at the crop progress report that came out on Monday at 69%, good to excellent nationwide. Uh, that certainly is a strong number, uh, well above last year's number. And um, uh, that number uh, could be unchanged, maybe creep up just a little bit on Monday. It's hard to say. It'll depend on how hot it, it does get this weekend. They were calling for some heat across the, the core of the Corn Belt this weekend, but fortunately it's not going to last. So I would agree with your summation that uh, there is quite a bit of good corn right now and uh, has the potential if we can finish the crop strong to be, to be very good uh, as you move through August here. Is there any possibility of a return of uh, trader interest in, in a weather market, or has it uh, slipped past us here now as far as the corn market is concerned? I don't think we can we can say that it's, it's passed it's entirely, Max. However, I'd remind your listeners that um, you know we're looking at soaking progress probably as of this Sunday, which is July the 26th, approaching 80 percent in that neighborhood. So uh, that doesn't guarantee a great crop, and there can still be some weather issues even after a crop, as your listeners know, is pollinated. However, uh, that um, really critical time period for a majority of the crop probably has passed. So I think probably the the big wild card that, that everyone needs to be aware of now, Max, weather-wise, is uh, two things. That last 20% that hasn't pollinated, and then, um, uh, of course, as we get into August here, uh, we do not want to see a dry August. We'd like to see some, some uh, periodic rains to help with that um, kernel depth and, and get some good test weight here. So there could be there could be some uh, market interest yet if if there is a weather scenario to develop with dry weather into August. What are what are the forecasts showing that you're watching at this point, Brian? As far as August is concerned, it seems like it's a pattern that's setting up. Max, that, that, that as your listeners know, tends to repeat. Um, whether you're in a hot, dry period, it stays hot and dry, or whether you're in a cool, wet, it stays cool and wet. Right now, the pattern seems to be um, a few days of, of cooler, drier weather followed by a, a bubble, if you will, of high pressure and heat. But that also triggers rainfall. And so we, we've been in that pattern now for, for a few weeks, and it seems like the forecasters we follow are suggesting that pattern may continue into the last week of July here and into early August with some cooler temperatures next week, and then into early August, another bubble of hot air accompanied by some, some scattered rainfall. So uh, overall, I've not heard anyone uh, be strongly of the opinion that it's going to be uh, anything uh, very hot or very dry or very cool or very wet. So I guess an equal chance of, of above or below normal. If anything, maybe a lean a little bit warmer than normal during August, but no, no extreme at the moment. 
And that's not yield threatening in any way. If I read you correctly, that uh, would only enhance yields uh, and, and give us a better possibility for a good soybean crop. Yeah, that's the, that's the critical thing, as you know, Max, as we get into August here, is that pod set and pod fill. The beans definitely need to, need to get some more rain in some of these key areas. Uh, of course, quite a bit of beans out there in, in the western Corn Belt uh, will need a drink of, of, of water here, and uh, the eastern Corn Belt will need a drink. So uh, I think the weather market definitely, uh, as usual, is more critical for beans in August um, than it is for corn, but, but not totally discounting corn either. By what date will most of the soybean crop be made? Look at your August calendar there and and make a judgment. Obviously, we've got double crop soybeans that wind up being a little bit later, some, some beans going in late. But when will most of this soybean crop have reached maturity and reached its yield potential? I always like to link at that last week in August. Um, I mean, there have been years, Max, as your listeners know, that we'll get rain and, and uh, as late as Labor Day and still still add to the yield. But that's that's probably the um, uh, not the not the rule, more the exception. So I would say that last week in August, you know, approximately 30 days from now, I think we'll we'll have a pretty good handle on um, whether or not we've seen a. You know, the flowers uh, produce a lot of pods or, or have to abort some of those pods and, and so on and so forth. But I think that um, give us 30 days here and we'll, we'll have a pretty good idea. And then just some fine tuning, depending, of course, on what happens as we enter that um, uh, last stage in, in early September with any frost concerns or any flooding, anything like that. But but I think we'll know a lot by, by the end of August, uh, 30 days from now, the end of August. We get a shot of hurricane moisture sometimes up through the Mississippi Valley. It can make a big difference. We've seen that. I guess maybe we ought to keep a maybe keep one eye on the tropics and see what could happen, perhaps. Boy, you hit the nail on the head. The year that stands out in that respect is 2012. Of course, your listeners will remember we had a disastrous corn crop that year, but we had a hurricane spin up from from the Gulf um, over Labor Day week, or excuse me, the last few days of August and um, in 2012. And um, not to relive some bad memories for some folks, but we had some beans that out-yielded corn that year because they got a good, good douse of rain at the end of August, early September, and that really made the bean crop. So you hit the nail on the head. I think any time you talk about beans, you do have to remember that those uh, we are in hurricane season now, and that can still help, particularly these beans across the Midwest, if it were to spin up here. Let's swing over to the demand side. The Chinese buying of corn has been impressive. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the biggest week ever, hasn't it? For uh, Has it been for sales of United States corn to China? Yeah, you're spot on, Max. Uh, one thing I'd share with your listeners is that uh, we're looking at a robust fall export program now in the works for corn and beans. Uh, we did uh, some comparison here with this year's USDA data of, of unshipped export sales of corn and beans on the books for this 2021 crop year. And it's about 1.24 billion bushels. And that's not only 65% above last year, but it's the second highest level ever behind the 16-17 crop year, which is 1.25. So we've really got a robust corn and bean export program in the works, as you said, um, largely due to China this fall. They have been known to cancel business in the past. We've seen that. Do we have to worry about that? And somebody reminded me the other day that no, uh, never mind the fact that they've been buying a lot of corn from us. They are still way behind the promises of the phase one trade agreement. Yeah, those are both excellent points. It's it's not a an export until it's loaded on the boat and, and uh, obviously um, uh, 
uh, reaches port, so we, we can't, counter, can't counter chickens before they're hatched, particularly as, as you accurately note. Uh, there have been some instances in the past where cancellations have been an issue regarding China. Um, we have to be aware of that, and the market, needless to say, with the volume out there that's on the books, will be keenly aware of that this year. But um, I, I think that uh, your second point is also valid, is that despite the uh, uptick in the sales we've seen in these last several weeks, they are well below that phase one agreement level. So it's an interesting balancing act here as we approach three months from the election and, and how China wants to wants to kind of play that angle. But um, a lot of moving pieces there in, in, in the markets as we uh, get closer to, to harvest here. Finally, ethanol demand. We saw it uh, recovering nicely, coming back after the COVID setback earlier in the spring. Has that plateaued now? What What do you make of our demand for ethanol, supplies of ethanol, and uh, that portion of the demand picture for corn? We did see a nice recovery, uh, as you mentioned, actually a very stout recovery from those from those very uh, uh, low levels that we saw back in the spring, of course, associated with stay-at-home orders. We were a bit surprised that the EIA report this week did back off ethanol production. Not quite sure what that was, but um, that may be an early indicator. You can't read too much into one week, but w- that we may have plateaued with some of the other areas now seeing a spike in, in COVID cases. So I think that um, if you look at a face value, the year-to-date totals, perhaps the USDA is a tad high or maybe a tad high, I should say, on their ethanol number for this old crop balance sheet on corn. But um, it's certainly, unless we really take a turn in the other direction to stay at home, we certainly don't hope don't want to see that. But I think it, 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 we may be pretty close now with the reductions USDA made in their balance sheet. Brian Basting, always good to talk to you, sir, and we appreciate your time this weekend. Take care of yourself. Always good to visit with you, Max. Brian Basting here, talking about the market scene. Brian is with Advanced Trading, Bloomington, Illinois. A national farm president made news in the past week or two. The president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duval, reported in a newsletter that many of you know that I was diagnosed with COVID-19 two weeks ago, and I want to begin this message with a heartfelt thank you for everyone's thoughts and prayers, and your messages of caring and encouragement have meant a lot to me. He said it's amazing how this virus hits people in such different ways. He said, my COVID-19 experience has been much lighter than others have had. I'm blessed and grateful for that, but I also want to send prayers to everyone whose health has been more severely impacted, as well as those whose livelihoods have been threatened. For me, I felt very sick, had a high fever and headaches, and felt exhausted. I'm happy to say that today I'm feeling much better The fever and headaches are gone, and now I just need to get my memory and my health and my lack of fatigue back to where it should be. But at least I was able to uh, conduct a lot of meetings by the uh, virtual technology, so I was able to keep track of what is going on with individual members of NAFB or I should say, of the American Farm Bureau. And then I mentioned NAFB. That's the National Association of Farm Broadcasters. I've been a member of that since 1956, 
and I have not had COVID-19, but like so many other events, county fairs, farm shows, state fairs, FFA conventions, and all of the other summertime activities that we would normally have, the National Association of Farm Broadcasters, where all of us who cover agriculture on radio and television get together in November every year. Won't be happening this year. It's normally scheduled for November 18 to 20 in Kansas City, but the Board of Directors reached a decision after ongoing monitoring and evaluation of current COVID-19 cases and updates throughout the United States. The Board of Directors of the Farm Broadcasters decided the convention will be held virtually this year. So uh, we're joining uh, so many other organizations with that postponement or outright cancellation. As we look at the closing markets at the Chicago Board of Trade this week, we find the uh, September wheat contract did gain 10 and 3 quarter cents for the week. The December corn contract gained just a quarter of a penny, and the August soybean contract lost a penny a bushel. And in livestock futures at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, we saw live cattle futures gain and then fall short on the week. The prices at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange looked like this as we ended the trade today. August lean hog contract down 62 cents a hundredweight. The August live cattle contract up 7 cents a hundredweight. And the August feeder cattle contract up 32 cents a hundredweight. Well, every week at this time, we run out of time. Thank you for joining us, Max Armstrong and me, on The Markets.